Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. As Americans, we all know this. I don't have to make this very obvious to you. We have so much stuff. Stuff. In fact, 67% of our gross national product is based on the fact that you are buying things to occupy for you to have inside of your home. 67%. So that's why if you see when we're going through a recession, uh, they will say, go and buy things. Buy more stuff. And so we fill our homes full of all these things. And one day we wake up and we say, why do I have all of this stuff? And then two, one of two things happen. You say, I'm going to put all of this stuff into my trunk and take it to St. Vincent de Paul or Goodwill or someplace so other people can have my treasures. Or you call the church and say, hey, I've got a couch with only two legs. I would love to bless the church with my garbage. And then you call us and I say, thank you, no thank you, we move on. But we have so much stuff, more stuff than we know what to do with. And all of this stuff leads us to a place that's not good. It leads us to a place of expectation. I expect as an American that I have the things that I want at my fingertips whenever I want them. Just a few weeks ago, in our area, the power went out. And so when the power goes out, uh, my first response is, who's the idiot who hit the line to make my power go out? Instant irritation, right? I'm instantly irritated because without power, I I can't turn my lights on. I can't keep my fridge cold. How am I going to charge my iPhone? And oh my goodness, I can't watch television. What am I going to do without another binge-watching session of Netflix? So I get instantly irritated. I know I'm not the only one, but I'm going to go back for some old school. Our ability to watch TV. Now, this is old school, but you know what I'm talking about. Do you remember back in the day when we all had cable television and the cable would go out? Oh, my word. Life would stop. We expect cable to be in our TV box whenever I flip it on. But now for the new generation, it's internet. If I do not have connectivity, I'm going to lose my mind. You want to find out what that's like? Take anybody who's younger in the younger generation, take a Gen Z, take them up north where there's no connectivity and watch what happens to them. (laughs) They're like punching at their phone and like, please, and they hold it up, like trying to find that signal anywhere they can go. And There's no connectivity. We have this expectation that this is given to me. But it's not just power. Think about something that you take for granted every day. You're running water. You wake up in the morning. You take your pot of coffee. You turn on your water. You expect the water to be good. You take that water. You put it in your coffee pot. You get your coffee going. You go into your bathroom. You take a shower, wash your face, or at least you should do something like that. You get yourself ready. You go on your day. You want a glass of water, you fill a glass of water. You want a cup of water, you know, oh, I'm on the go. I'm going to stop and pay way too much for a bottled water. And so you have water always at your access, but you never think about the fact that you have water. It's not just that. 
we expect when we walk into the grocery store that everything is full. All of our shelves have everything we need. And something that we learned very quickly during COVID is, oh my goodness, what do I do when the, sh- when the shelves don't have what I need? We walk in right now, walk into Piggly Wiggly, you walk into Pick and Save, wherever you shop, you walk in Walmart and you see all these shelves of all this food, but during the pandemic, things were gone. We couldn't get bread and we couldn't get toilet paper. Have you ever thought about how much you rely on toilet paper? Not till 2020, you didn't. All of a sudden, you are now deciding, and I had this, we were down to our last roll, and I remember thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? What's expendable for me to be able to use and then throw away? Uh, Let me go to the Goodwill bag, right? Like, we're processing all the time, and we have so much stuff. All of these things, every day. You pull up to the local Quick Trip because everyone from Wisconsin knows that the only thing that matters in travel is Quick Trip. Because you pull in the Quick Trip, you take the, the, the pump, you put gas into your car, you don't even think about it. You don't think about how it got there, you think, I need gas. And I'm going to be real honest with you, when it goes really slow, and you have all those people, especially our Quick Trip here in town, and it's like glunk, 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 and it takes like 30 minutes to fill your tank, and you're tapping your foot and super irritated. See, this is all about me right now because I have anger issues. And so I'm sitting here, I'm irritated because it's not going fast enough, but I still go inside and get a croissant and a hot cup of coffee. We just expect. We expect everything to be there for us when we want it, but then when things are taken from us, we get mad, irritated, frustrated, scared. Perhaps some things have been taken from you. Perhaps you lost your job. You had this job that you felt was fully secure and that you felt that you were comfortable with. And then when that you expected to show up, you expected a paycheck to come, but when that job was taken from you, all of a sudden you feel like, what am I going to do? Perhaps it's your home. During COVID, people lost homes because they couldn't afford to be able to pay their mortgage, and maybe you lost a home either now or sometime in the past, and you realize how hard it is that you have lost something. Maybe it's been your health. Maybe you were sitting here and hoping with all of your being is that you were going to live a long, healthy life, but yet you sit here in the year 2021 saying, how did I get so unhealthy? And your health is ripped away from you, and you think back to the time of when you had your health, and you think about a time of why didn't I take better care of my body when I was younger. We've all been granted so much in our lives. Until that thing's taken away, we really don't ever pause to think about, man, where did this come from? Do I even think in a day that I'm thankful for any of these things? Because when we take it for granted and we expect it, Gratefulness is pushed out the door. When it is mine, it is mine. Give it to me. I've earned it. I own this. But when it's taken away, we say, whoa, 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 and we become afraid. We become like little children, and we learned about that so well in the past few years. When the expectations of things that we wanted were gone or not accessible to us, toilet paper, paper towels, canned goods, bottled water. And today, we're going to be exploring something today that 
Maybe you've heard before, but I want to take a new perspective on it because our hearts can become so complacent and we see a story with Jesus where, where this happens. But before we go there, I want to pause for you and ask the question of this as you think through this. When, when you are, something's taken away from you, you are at that place of an expectation loss, what is your immediate response? What is your immediate response when something is an expectation that you had is taken from you? You don't have to say it out loud, of course. I mean, we could air all of our sins right now, but that's not what we're going to do this morning. What is your response? My response is immediately angry that I am not getting what I want. What is your response? Because we're going to take this into a beautiful passage where Jesus is going to do something miraculous. I'm going to open your Bibles, Bible apps to Luke chapter 17. We'll be in verses 11 to 19. Luke 17, 11 to 19. In this passage, we're going to see Jesus engaging 10 men. And these 10 men in Luke chapter 17, 11 through 19 are going to approach Jesus and ask great things from him. So we'll read along. It's also on the screen behind me or in your apps or Bibles. Luke 17, 11 to 19. It says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So we're going to get into a little bit of a backstory because the story, when you read it, and when you read scripture verses, I, I think in our time, we read too quickly. We have to slow down and really dig into what's happening inside this parrot, in this passage because there's so much depth and richness to this. If we were to skim by it, we miss a lot. First, we're going to start with a map to give you a perspective of where we are on this map. So if you can see here, uh, Galilee is in the northern region. Down in the bottom, we see Judea. In the middle is Samaria. And back in the Old Testament, in the book of Kings, 1 Kings, we see that there's a lot of war happening between the nation of Israel. And what happens is that there's a huge split that happens between the people of God. People of God are split. People of God now move to the north, and to the north was Israel, to the south is Judah. So in Judah, we see that we've got the capital of Jerusalem down here, but to the north at this time, Samaria was not yet there at that time. The northern kingdom created its own capital called Samaria. So all of you historical, I love history nerds, geek with me because I love this stuff, right? So we have up in the north, we have down in the south, and then something crazy happens in the middle of this. The northern kingdom is now taken over by the Assyrians, who were their enemy. As the Assyrians now move into the area and they take over the northern kingdom, they now start to intermarry with the people of God. So the northern kingdom, the Israelites, are now intermarrying with Assyrians. 
So the Assyrians plus Israelites are now called Samaritans. The Samaritans, these group of people, to the people of the south, it was high racial tension. They called them dogs, and they called them half-breeds. They called them terrible names. In fact, the Jewish people hated Samaria. This was not a, uh, you know, Chicago. Yeah, it would be Chicago Bears Green Bay. We could say that. That's fair. Um, the people to the north uh, would, well, we'd be the bad guys, but that's a side note. But so as we see here on this map, when we're up in Nazareth, Jesus came from Nazareth. He was from the kingdom of the north. In between is Samaria, and yet Jerusalem in Judea is the worship or the temple for the Jewish people. So now what happens is in Jesus' times, you've got north, which is back to who they should be in Galilee. You've got Judea, who's good. Now, right in the middle of all of us is Samaria, and we hate them. There was so much tension among them. Tension came for religious reasons, because during that time, there's different religious beliefs of how they should worship. In fact, the northern kingdom said, we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship anymore. We're going to do our own things in the north. Samaria started taking Assyrian gods and Assyrian ways of doing things, adding it into the way of Israel or God. And if this is all new to you, this is all coming from the Old Testament. That's why we read the Old Testament. It's awesome with great stories to understand what's happening in the New Testament, right? So if you think, oh, I don't want to read it, read it. It's awesome. And we'll preach it here too, both. But I move on. So we've got now Samaria. People hate it, and they would not walk through it. Anybody of Jewish descent will not walk through Samaria nor lay a foot in Samaria because they're the dogs. We don't go there. They're beneath us. They won't, we don't talk to them. We don't eat with them. They are garbage. Very, whew, yeah, intense, right? So this tension now brings Jesus into a story where he is up in Galilee you can kind of see there, uh, we see the Sea of Galilee, that large blue dot there up by Galilee in the red. Um, they are now, he's making a movement down, and we don't know exactly, this is a guesstimate, but he's on the border between Samaria and Galilee. And what we do know of Jesus, Jesus went to Samaria. Jesus engaged Samarian people. Jesus did not call them half-breeds. Jesus did not do any of that. He broke all of those barriers. So whenever you see the word Samarian inside of Scripture, it's meant there for a reason. It's intense. So when we see in our Scripture, when the author Luke says this so clearly, and he was a Samarian, that emphasis is there for a reason. This is a big deal. So we jump back into our story. Back into our story, Jesus is walking along and he enters into a village, which we don't know what it is, and 10 men are out crying out to him to have mercy on them. What we do know of leprosy, if this is a new term to you, is an infectious skin disease. Uh, it, there would be boils all over their skin, raised, pale, bumps, rash, and it would start to eat away at their fingers and extremities. So fingers, nose, ears, leprosy would cripple people. And so as people are Having leprosy, there was a rule that you were not allowed to come within contact of anybody, and they were cast out of society. So if you had leprosy, instead of people saying, oh, let me help you, they're like, cool, you need to get out of the village because you're going to make us all sick. Now, modern science has showed us 
that it doesn't come through what we thought. It's through spit, blood contact, and those sorts of things. They thought if I even breathed the air around you, I was going to get leprosy. So there was large bubbles around people with leprosy. They were outsiders. If you've ever been an outsider who's been sick, it's a very lonely place. So some leprous people would be off by themselves. They'd sit by gates and they would beg and say, beg for food, have mercy on me, please, can you offer anything? Some would group together in bands so that they had community because only lepers could hang out with lepers. So here we see a story. We assume that there's a group of lepers all together, and by the context of the passage, nine of them are of Jewish descent, and one of them is an Assyrian. Uh, Sumerian, excuse me. So the Sumerian and these Jews are hanging out. Now, if you have leprosy, I'm sure racism and all that kind of goes by the wayside because if anyone will be my friend, I'm cool, right? Because their health was taken from them. So they don't have even their health. They would do anything for community, but they sit outside the walls screaming and begging. So Jesus walks by in this village, and they come up to to meet up to him, but they stood at a distance, knowing very well they can't come in contact with him. And he says this, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. That's an interesting thing to ask for. Have pity on us. Why would we have pity on anyone? Was it their loneliness? Was it how bad was their leprosy? Pity. Have mercy. You think, man, this must be so bad that do something, anything at all. Can you do anything to help us? Were they asking for money? Were they asking to be healed? Did they think he was the Messiah? We don't know what's going on through their heads, but we see 10 men on the outside. Now, Jesus is traveling along, and these men are yelling at them to have mercy on them. That's never happened in my life. I've never been you know, walking through a store, says, Jason, have mercy on me. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, right? So the disciples, Jesus is walking around, he's got the disciples with him, and they stop, and the response to leprosy is cultural. Don't go anywhere near them. Now, in this account, Jesus heals lepers in different accounts. In this account, he doesn't heal them. He says to them very clearly, go show yourself to the priests. So he doesn't say you're healed. He says, go do that instead. Now, why in the world would he tell them to go talk to priests? The priests of the area, this would be uh, people uh, of the Jewish people had their priests that they would go to for ceremonial and ritual cleansing. And to be accepted back into society, a leper, if that leper had been cured of leprosy, would have to go and show himself or herself clean. They are no longer full of the illness. And so they would go before the priest, they would take an offering and a ritualistic cleaning, and now they are accepted back into the culture. So now they could go back with their families, back into the village, they're back. But it took the priest to do that. So Jesus says something really radical. He says, just go show yourself to the priests. Now, I, I'm going to add my little uh, 10 cents into this story because I do that all the time. If you're these 10 guys, you're like, What? Why would, we, why would we go to the priest? I would, I would doubt. I'm like, what are you talking about? Go show us to the priest. He's going to tell us to get out of here. My mind would be twirling, and these are not made-up fictitious men. They're real humans in a real time, in a real culture. And so they don't fill in the blanks, but there has to be some 
uh, okay. And so they start walking along the way to go show themselves to the priests. We don't know how far that is. We don't know how long it is. We don't know how long they're gone, but they take off in this journey. Now, as they're traveling on this journey, something miraculous happens. They are healed. By the time they get to the priest, all 10 of these men are completely free of leprosy. If you've ever had an illness that you were cured of or an illness that was about to take your life, if you are a cancer survivor, what a fantastic parallel to that fear of we're not going to make it to I have been cured, I'm in remission. If you've ever had that really bad sickness that just like felt like, oh my goodness, this is so terrible. If you had trouble at any time in your life with your health and then something gets better, you realize all those things you now have again. You realize, man, what it's like. Now, I, I went through COVID and, and through COVID, I had some crazy, crazy things happen to me. No one has had this that I know of, so I'm going to tell you about my issues because it's super fun. I literally had leprosy. I had what's called COVID rash. COVID rash, yes, you're like, what? Right, Google, it's there, it's a real thing. If you ever heard about COVID toes, COVID rash is this thing that breaks out in pustules on your skin from my knees down. The best way I could describe it to you is chicken pox. I had chicken pox that were the most itchy, crazy thing I've ever felt in my entire life. I woke up from a dead sleep, rubbing my legs like a cricket, trying to get relief. And Sorry, it's going to get gross. And, and as you scratch these things, they're like pustules that would break open. And this thing was just spreading everywhere. And I put, my legs were all pink from calamine lotion, you know, Benadryl cream. I, I mean, hydrocortisone, nothing worked. It was terrible. And as I'm laying there with my legs, and I'm scratching away like a monkey digging out fleas in his fur. I'm like, boy, do I take for granted not having this. And then I remember it started to get better, and it, the itching started to go away, it go away, and I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. And how funny I forget what it's like to have it unless I tell the story I take for granted every day. I don't have these COVID legs, this COVID rash. And so this thing just infused my lower body, and then I had something that was the worst for me. I lost my taste and smell, and I lost the taste of my most beloved thing in the world, fresh, dark roast coffee. I drank coffee, and it tasted like turpentine. It was terrible. And I thought about how many times in my life I just go up to Starbucks and get a black, fresh rose coffee, and I drink that coffee and don't think about the joy, the fact that this is just a joy in the morning to have a hot cup of coffee. But then the taste came back. And now when I drink that coffee, I'm like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, God, thank you so much for this beautiful fruit you've made, which you dried up and burn and put in the cup. I love this stuff. It was such a joy to have that hot cup of coffee again. These 10 men walk into the priest. The priest, they go through their ritual. They are cleansed and they're introduced back into society. And one comes back. This one man, this dog, this, this scoundrel, this half-breed, comes finding Jesus. We don't know the time frame, but they go and find Jesus. And there's a beautiful thing I want you to see in the Scripture. That's why we don't go fast, guys, through passages because we miss this too often. We see these 10 men in a loud voice begging God for mercy. They're begging, God, have pity on us. 
At the same time, that man came back and in a loud voice was worshiping God. He didn't come up real sheepish like, hey, uh, what you did worked, so cool, and then walk off. <laughs> he came before Jesus, and the scriptures, they tell us right here that are so clear, he threw himself at Jesus' feet. He falls prostrate before him. Let's see, he's shaking. He's so excited. He is healed. He's back in society. He is cleansed. And he thanked him, and he came back with a loud voice praising God. What an example for us this morning. The simplest things we let by and let go. Sometimes big things will say, hey, God, thanks, appreciate that. But do we ever, with the same voice we cry out and ask God to help us, do we return that same voice back with praise and worship of God? Because if we did, if we saw everything the way that this man saw the gifts of God, every morning this room would be shaking with voices, praising and worshiping God in a loud voice. It's not just singing. It would be throughout your week and your day of worshiping through prayer. You would be just praising God through all things if we saw it through the same eyes he did. But the fact of the matter, friends, is so many of us are like the nine, not like the one. So many of us accept our gifts Hey, God, can you help me today on that test? Even though I didn't study, just through osmosis, I slept on my book. Can you help me get an A on this test? And you do really well on your test. You're like, yeah, it's because I did it. I'm smart. And we just write off God. or We ask God for big things. We pray to God. We ask and we ask and we ask and we ask. And we have a prayer journal. We write down our prayers, but we've forgotten the idea of what God has created us for. We are reflectors of God's glory. We are created to reflect back to him his greatness. So his great works are not about us. Our, his great works are about his glory. And so at that point, this man who came back became a mirror reflecting God's glory back to him in worship. But so many of us don't do that. I shared with you this morning that this man went to the quick of me because this is my story. I'm one of the nine. I ask and ask and ask, and God provides. I'm like, cool, God, thanks. Hey, by the way, we got 75 more things to ask for. And I come to Jesus, not at a distance asking for mercy. I see myself coming to Jesus, saying, hey, Jesus, I think you owe me something. I don't know about you. I'm just telling my story right now. If you're reflecting, you can understand it. Now, I don't come with that on purpose, guys. I'm just being real with you. I see my heart come in sometimes and say, you know, God, I do all this for you. Can, you. can you answer my prayers, please? I come tired. I come, you know, I'm so sick of this um, arrogant, irritated, frustrated attitude like somebody who has expectations that you didn't give me. God, you need to give me these things. I expect that you're going to fill in these holes for me. That tends to be my attitude. And so when I sit down to write this, We've gone through, as a church family, a whole lot. If you're new to our story, we began in a middle school and for five months, and then COVID hit, and then we're displaced. And then from a displacement, then we go to online. From online, we move into just a temporary space. For a temporary space, we move into a parking lot. From a parking lot, we move into a building. And from a building, I say, wow, God, thanks for everything, but now can you do these five things for me? 
Literally, Jesus has provided all the way along the way. We've prayed for, we've asked for, and I found myself so frustrated with the process, I didn't pause to praise. Let me repeat that for you for a second. I'm frustrated with the process, so I didn't pause to praise. Those men would have really preferred for Jesus to say, you are healed. And they're like, sweet. But Jesus didn't just heal them physically. He wanted to heal them physically. He wanted to heal them in society or culture or their mental, who they were as a human, to be, have people around them again. And he wanted to heal them spiritually. And the nine men accepted the physical. The one man accepted all three. How much greater the blessing then as Jesus says to him at the end of this, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Think about that. Think about this man's actions and why in the world do we tend to move to the nine so often? Now, if you are the one, you are 10%, let's just say. One out of 10, 10% of these men decide to go back. Where are you on your faith journey? Because we are called as people who reflect God's glory as mirrors that shine back to him. In Psalm 9.1, it says this, I'll give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart. And I will tell of your wonderful deeds. Jason, great story. He hasn't answered my prayers. He hasn't answered my requests. I've asked him very clearly for a new Tesla, and he has said he's not answered me yet. God, my God, when I ask him things, is not providing. And that, my friends, is where we become expectors and we live in our expectations. The fact that we have a roof over our head, water in our system, food in our gullets, the fact that we are able to take care of each other, we have relationships and friendships, we have church families, we have so many things to give, give thanks for and worship God for, but do we do it? I, being a melancholy, tend to go to wah-wah, and I'm sure you can relate. When I sit down, when I have a meal, this is something I do give thanks for. As a young man, we didn't grow up with much. Uh, we grew up with commodity foods. If you know anything about that, the extra government-issued food. Um, it, I, I remember some of these things, and my mom was a maestro with rice, beans, spam, and dried goods. And we would get uh, cheese, commodity cheese that came in a big brown box. It was this cheese processed food. If you guys eat that, it's called Velveeta. If you eat it on purpose, you're nuts at being Wisconsinite. And we would eat this food, and, and we didn't have much. We didn't have extra, but I had food on my plate. And, and I would walk through the store, and I wanted the cereal with the fun cartoon characters on it, but we didn't get that. Mine didn't have fun cartoon characters maybe like you guys did. I, all I knew was that I got to eat. There wasn't a day I went hungry as a child. But I also then learned when, when we moved out of that circle that all these other people has all this other stuff. I remember the first time I had real cheddar cheese. It was like if God put joy and happiness into a form of food into my mouth. I'd never tasted that. 
And so I've never, Velveeta and like single slices, I can't eat them. I bleh, can't eat them. But I remember that because I grew up with so little. When I sit down for a meal, I still remember. And I thank God for the fact that food is still on my plate. And I thank God for the fact that for our family right now, I'm so grateful we've got meat. It's not commodity, extra government. I, I can eat cereal with a cartoon character on the box if it's on sale, two for ten at Piggly Wiggly. Then we get it. When you have gone to that place, gratefulness looks different. But too quickly we forget, friends. Too quickly we forget. Psalm 9.1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. This all begins with changing our mindset, and this is really a life shift. Can you shift the way that you see life into a life of gratefulness? Can you be the one crying out for mercy, thankful for the simplistic of things that we go through? Because if we were to take our lives into a different country who doesn't have what we have, you will see a vast difference. I did a mission trip one time in Chicago with our junior high team, and we went into a very dark part of Chicago. We were doing some inner city mission and, and doing a rescue home in which they had a fantastic rescue home, people, food, and they would have a time that parents could bring their kids. I don't know if you know this, there are homeless families. If you've never been involved with homeless ministry, it's not what you think, there are families. And guess what? Moms and dads, they can't get away from their kids either. So we, there's this ministry that would give time for the parents to just have a break, and they would take the kids up on this roof in Chicago, downtown Chicago area, and they would have this, they had this huge playground and stuff for the kids. So we were in this ministry and we're helping out, and uh, they went to go play in the jungle gym. So I'm up there hanging out with the kiddos and stuff, talking with them, and there's this little boy uh, who just clung to me. He just connected with me and wanted to play, and so we're playing, having a great time. And uh, he asked, well, where are you from? I said, I'm from Milwaukee. He said, where's that? I said, uh, that's north of you. How far is it? We drove about an hour to get here. An hour? You drove? Yes. In a car? Yes. You have a car? Yes. Whoa. And now, here I am as a junior high youth pastor driving a free, rusty bucket. Now, I want to be very clear of the car that I had during this time. I would drive to youth group, and all the high school kids had way more banging cars than I had. My car is just garbage, and I'm always embarrassed of my car. But this young man says, you have a car? Whoa. So we start talking more, and he says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. You get money for that? Uh-huh. Whoa. Really? You get paid to do this? I said, I do. He goes, you must be rich. I said, I'm not rich. He goes, yes, you are. We keep talking a little bit, and he's just asking these questions. Out of the mouth of babes, right, friends? He says to me, uh, do you have a house? Well, now you know where this is going. I'm just trying to shrink away, like, you know, hey, kid, I got to go help somebody else, you know? I said, I do have a house that your entire family lives in? Yeah. Do you have kids? Yeah. Do you live with them? Mm-hmm. So you're the dad and you live with your family. I said, I do. 
they're the luckiest kids ever. Yeah, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Obviously, this made a big impact in my life, right? And so I sit there thinking about all these things I have that I complain about. I lived in a 1918 home that was leaky and falling apart. I got a rusty car. And then this kid, from the mouth of babes, the Holy Spirit, I mean, just jab me one more time, right? He goes, well, you, you said you're married. Like, don't tell me that you guys have two cars. I said, uh, we do. He goes, Mr. Jason, you're one of the richest people I've ever met. Here I am as a junior high youth pastor making not very little according to our standards, feeling like I don't fit in, looking at the Joneses, I don't have anything, putting myself in all this comparative. And here this young boy who lives on the street with his family is grateful for someone to take time to play with them and to have a safe place to be able to eat a meal and to know that a dad, there's a dad who lives with his family who drove down all the way down there who has two cars and a house he thinks, I am as rich as possible. He could not believe he's come in contact with someone like him. I couldn't. To this day, I still remember that conversation. And when I think of that conversation, when that conversation comes up, I say, who am I? Look at how one of the nine I am. Always complaining, never enough, have so much, give me expectation, give me, give me, give me. Frustrated when the gas doesn't go fast enough. Frustrated when our water is out. Frustrated when someone hits the power line. Irritated, frustrated that I don't have what I expect is mine. And here this young boy gives thanks and is thankful for food in his stomach. Thankful that he's got a safe place. Thankful that a young man would spend time with him. Friends, as we process this, I ask the question, how are you in your thankfulness? In the story, we see these 10 men. He, Jesus asks, weren't all 10 of these people healed? Tell me the story. He comes back, weren't all 10 of these men blessed and healed? Did God not perform a miracle for all 10 of you? And only one comes back, and the one who comes back is the one whom probably worships a different God. So let me give it into our Christianese conversation in our modern tongue. Let's use it like this just for the sake of the story this morning. Nine of these people call themselves Christians. One of them is not a Christian. The one who's not a Christian comes back and praises God. The nine who are Christians go off on their way. If that doesn't drive into your stomach this morning, I don't know what else will. Because those who know the way and know the master and know God should be the first ones to give all thanks and glory and worship to God. But like spoiled brats, we just say, God, gimme, 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 gimme. Friends, let's change our perspective today. Let's change our perspective for the sake of not you and your family, but for the worship God is worthy of. We rob God of his glory too much, and it's time to stop. It's time to give him his glory, his due, his worth, to thank him, to worship him, to praise him in the simplest of things. Because God is good, he healed all ten, but only one comes back. What if, Mosaic Church, we all come back, all give glory, that your day in and out, you start to see things through a different perspective? Because Jesus teaches us something huge here. We are called to give glory to God in all things, especially when he does miraculous things. But we are called...
who offer. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.